0: Right now we're going to uh, give our attention to God's Word, and we're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 1 this morning. So if you're not there already, turn to Romans chapter 1. This morning we're just going to look at the first uh, seven verses, and uh, Lord willing, this is where we'll spend some time uh, this um, semester, is how I like to think about it, Uh, the next uh, couple weeks uh, and months looking at uh, the book of Romans and seeing how God can use this to deepen us and our understanding of the gospel and what it means to be a follower of Christ. Before we read that passage, I want us to think about, just for a moment, uh, where the book of Romans is, uh, where it is uh, in the New Testament. Um, You've got uh, the historical books, if you will, that come first, uh, the gospels, the four gospels, and they are just... I mean, it, it, in a really simplistic way, they're uh, a biography of Christ, who he is and, and what he has done. And of course, they end with the Great Commission. That's kind of how you can sum up the ending of the, of the Gospels. God saying, uh, Go and, and spread this message. message. Uh, teach what I've taught you. Baptize in my name. Uh, go and spread this word. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. We see the apostles and the disciples going out and talking about Christ, and proclaiming Him, and beginning to establish churches, and plant churches. They're doing it in Jerusalem, and they're, they're moving out uh, outside of there as well. And then you have, after the book of Acts, the next book is Romans. And so why is Romans there? I mean, who decided that should be there? Some have said, well, it's well, someone said it can't be because it's the first book that Paul wrote, because it's not the first book that Paul wrote. The first one was "For Thessalonians." So it's not, for, it's not in chronological order it's the way that Paul wrote it. Um, Some said, well, maybe it's because it's the longest book that he wrote. Well, maybe. Uh, to be honest, I really don't have an answer for you uh, why it's there in the order that we see him there. But I will suggest to you uh, this. Uh, it's helpful to think that maybe why it's there is because of its importance. Uh, certainly, that the book of Romans, with its 16 chapters, uh, take us on a deep dive tour on who God is, on the gospel, and what it means to, to follow Him and to know Him. If if you want to think about the book of Acts as Christ uh, forming the church, think about the book of Romans as God beginning to form us in Christ. Uh, shaping us as, as God's people. So, in light of that, let's, let's take a moment and stand and read God's Word. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1 of the book of Romans. Let's hear God's Word to us. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the Spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God empowered by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith in his na- for His name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, your word is true, and you have given it to us because you love us. Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would help us to receive it as your word to us, as your truth, and that you would show us its relevance in all of our lives. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. What I want to do is just really just want to dive right into uh, this passage. Uh, there's, there's so much here, and I want to use our time uh, wisely. And so here's my um, plans with this opening sermon, looking at uh, the book of Romans. I want to think about uh, three things and answer really three questions. Uh, who wrote the book of Romans? And for us, that may be an obvious answer. Why is that relevant for us uh, today as we sit here in these pews? I want to talk uh, a little bit about what this letter is about, to dive into a little bit of the the content and where we're going, where Paul is is taking us with this letter, and then why. Why do I need to study this book? Why is it relevant for my life? Uh, Why is it important for me to to understand uh, the truth and the things that are being uh, taught here? So the first one is, uh, who wrote uh, the book of Romans? Uh, Many of you would say, well, Paul wrote the book of Romans, and you say that because you went to Sunday school, and you learned these things there, and I would say, you are right. Paul wrote the book of Romans, but that's not the thing I want to point out. The thing I want to point out is that the amazing fact that Paul wrote the book of Romans. You think about who he was, his background, a man like that could write such a letter that we're going to read and look at and study uh, this morning Imagine you are a a first century Christian, like maybe 10 years ago Christ died, and uh, you are part of this early, early church, and you are leaving a worship service with uh, one of your friends, and you're talking on the way, and you're talking about some of the prayer requests, some of the things that are going on in the church, and you're concerned because there's this guy named Saul, who we know as Paul, who's persecuting the church, He's arresting people. He's uh, behind these kind of acts of violence against his church, and you're worried about your friends and maybe your family that you know that have been touched by him and, and what he's been doing. And you're praying for those people, and in the back of your head you're thinking, God, don't let him come here. Don't let him come and, and have that kind of influence and sway here. And as you're walking along, another buddy comes alongside you, and he's heard what you're talking about. He's heard you talking about Paul and his, your concerns about that. And he says, you know what? I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray that God converts him, that he becomes a Christian. And maybe you look at him and you think, okay, you're crazy. I'm not going to pray that because there's no way God's going to change a person like that. Now, whether the early church prayed for Saul or Paul for his conversion Uh, we don't really know. But we do know that God acted. We do know that God changed this man who was zealous for the destruction of the early church, turned into a man who's zealous for uh, the prospering of this early church. So much so that he's going all over the place, planting churches and writing and instructing and and going through all this suffering uh, because of it. Because he wants to see God's church grow and thrive. He's willing to bleed for this church. And here is Paul writing to the Romans. And he's writing to this group that he has not seen face to face. He has not had face time with them. Uh, He doesn't know what they look like. Uh, They've never seen his face and they've never seen his face. But he anticipates a time when he does uh, visit them. And sees them and is able to encourage them face to face. But until then, he writes a letter. And think about it if you're writing to a, a group of, of believers that you've never met before and you're the Apostle Paul, how do you introduce yourself to them? How do you, what are the first things you say? Well, look at verse 1. Paul writes Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul says he describes himself as a servant. Now think about the different ways that he could have introduced himself to these people. He could have talked about his his resume. He's saying, hey, I've planted a lot of churches. Uh, I've been around the block a long time. I've planted this, 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 and this church, and so you need to listen to me. He could have said, you know, here's my educational background. These are the schools I've, I've been a part of, and these are the degrees I've had, and these are the uh, <clears throat> professors that have influ- excuse me, influenced me, you need to listen to me. Or he could have said, you know, I'm a good Christian writer. These are the books I've written, the letters I've written. He could have done any one of those things to, to say, these are my credentials, so to speak, uh, as to, to why you should receive this letter. He doesn't do any of that. He describes himself how? He says, I'm a bondservant. I'm a slave to Christ Jesus. Most of our our, our translations do say uh, servant. And I think that kind of the the bad thing about that word servant is you think, and in Roman times, the servant was somebody that was kind of a hired hand. Uh, They had some say in what they could do, how long they could be there, and how long they couldn't be there, and so on and so forth. Probably a, a better translation of that Greek word is bond slave, is bond slave. And what that communicates and what that establishes is this. Paul is saying, I have a master, and I am a person who's under somebody else's authority. To be described as a bond slave means that he has a master, and he's under somebody else's authority. Now, to be described like this, and for Paul to describe himself like this, this is not a new thing in the Bible. It's not an exclusively a New Testament thing, You go back and look at the Old Testament, men like David, Moses, Abraham, they described themselves as servants of the Lord. They knew themselves as men who were under somebody else's authority. They were mastered by somebody else. And Paul is is, is walking in that uh, tradition, if you will, and labeling himself as a bond slave or a bond servant. There are a couple other places in the New Testament where. This is filled in. And you understand why Paul can, can speak like this. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, You are not your own, you're bought at a price. You see that. I, I don't belong to myself, but I belong to my master. I'm under his authority. Or 1 Corinthians 7, you are bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Meaning that you you belong to somebody else. Christ has redeemed you, He has purchased you you belong to him. And here's Paul saying, I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus. My identity is wrapped up in him. I belong to him. It's why he goes on in verse 1, it only makes sense that he calls himself and sees himself as set apart for the gospel of God, which is Paul's way of saying, I'm a bondservant of Christ. That means everything in my life I do in light of that truth. Everything I do, I do in light of that truth and that reality that I belong to Christ, that He is my Master, and I belong to Him. And this is how Paul introduces himself to these people. The question I have for us this morning, how do you describe yourself as a Christian? What words would you use to describe yourself as a believer? Do you see yourself as a servant of Christ, as a slave of Christ? Do you see him? He is my master, and I've been bought by him. I belong to him, and everything I do, I do in light of him. Now, some of you, you think, well, that's Paul. I mean, he wrote all these letters, and he did all these dramatic things, and God used him in all these dramatic ways. I'm just an average Joe or Jane here today. I don't see myself as as being that relevant to God's plans and to be used like that yes, he's my master, but I just don't see it like that. If you think like that and keep moving in that direction and just end there, you're missing the point of Paul's conversion. Paul's conversion screams to us what? He can take men and women who are zealously opposed to who he is and living lives that are completely contrary to everything the Bible communicates and everything that God stands for, and he can change them and use them in amazing ways. I think of how Paul was changed by God. Think about your gifting. Think about your, your resources. Think about who you are. Are you willing to say, God, I want you to use my gifts. I want you to use my time. I want you to use my position. I want you to use my stage of life because I belong to you. I want to serve you. That's a little bit about who wrote this book. Let's think for a moment about what the book of Romans is about, because if that's who we are, that at the end of the day, we are servants of Christ. He is our ultimate identity. What does Romans give us to help us move in that direction, to teach us about this life? I'll go back to uh, verse uh, 2. He says this. He says, The gospel He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding His Son, couple things to point out. First of all, this gospel message that is ours, that that we own, that we treasure, that we celebrate, and that we sing about and and rely upon God for, it's not a new message. It's not something that, that just appeared on the stage of world history, but God has been promising it for years and years and years and years. It goes back to the Old Testament It goes back to God's work with Adam and Eve and the promises there in the garden. It goes through Abraham and Moses and men like David and the prophets. This is not a new thing. What he's been doing in the Old Testament has been pointing towards this person and work of Christ. And what that does for us as believers today, it it should give us a sense of confidence that this message, this truth, this reality has been present, has been extended to God's people for as long as they have been virtually. The second thing is is how if Christ has been promised in the Old Testament, it means that everything we see in the Old Testament is about Him in some shape or form, pointing towards Him in some shape or form. Sometimes at home we have this devotional book that we do with the, the young people in our house, and we'll, it's a devotional book set up where each chapter, if you will, talks about uh, a story from major events in the Old Testament. And at the end of each chapter, each, each lesson, if you will, there's a paragraph, and the author will say, This theme, or that theme, or this work, or what this person did, in some way or form, points to Christ. It points to the cross. It points to the gospel. And one of our children, as wise and as brilliant as they are, Got frustrated by this and said, Why does he always do that? At the end of every lesson, it's always about Jesus. And it's like, that's the point. That's the point of the Old Testament. That's the point of the New Testament. It's all pointing towards Christ. And it's this content, it's this person that Romans is seeking to celebrate. It's it's this message that Paul is, is digging out and flushing out for us as believers today. To see how it impacts our own lives, sixteen chapters belong to the book of Romans. The first eleven chapters are all doctrine, if you will. The last remaining chapters, twelve through uh, sixteen, it's all practical. It's all therefore, in light of this, do this, be this, look to examine yourself in this way or this um, detail. Let me give you just brief, bird's-eye detailed where we're going with the book of Romans and where Romans uh, takes us. Very briefly. Uh, The beginning, Paul is talking about this righteousness of God, this gospel message, and he says, this is a message that I am not ashamed of. And the whole book of Romans is about this message of the gospel, the message of God's righteousness for us. And he goes into some detail about this message. The truth of God has been revealed, but people have turned away from it. People have turned away and said, you know what? I'd rather, I would rather worship creation, things that I make, things that I can do and put together with my own hands or dream up with my own imagination, than I would rather worship the Creator. And he talks about the sin problem that we have starting in chapter 2 talking about the problem that the Gentiles have and their sin problem, and the, problem, the sin problem that the Jews have as well. And he moves towards talking about the importance of faith and how God in His uh, way of the cross, He's completely keeps His justice. Sin is punished, but He's able to extend mercy and grace to His people. And He does that through the cross. And the way to connect with that is by faith by believing that, by knowing that in a personal way. And then he talks about you're either part of two people. Either you are in Adam, in the sense that either Adam is your representative, and by representative I mean everything that's true about Adam is true about you, or everything that's true about you is true about, everything that's true about Christ is true about you. Who do you belong to? What line are you a part of? Are you a part of the line of Adam, or are you a part of the line of of Christ You get to chapter 8, and he gives us this beautiful chapter about the security that we have. There is no longer condemnation. There's no longer guilt. There's no longer shame because of what Christ has done, because of the beauty of this gospel that's been extended to you. He talks about the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers. He talks about how we are God's children adopted to him. And starting in in chapter 9, he talks about the problem of the Jews and the hardening of their hearts and then when you get to chapter 12, he gets very practical. And it's an invitation that Paul's given us to examine our own lives. You've heard this message. You understand this gospel. How is your life living in light of these truths? How are you doing in light of this reality? That's the bird's eye view of the book of Romans. And the reason I wanted to give some detail and to give you words like righteousness and, and um Adam and being in Christ and, and uh, the work of the Spirit is because Romans is so thick. It is so dense. It is so full of detail. There's so much there. And for us to, to comprehend it, just to have a, 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 key, a few key categories and words and, and definitions of things to begin to think through and to understand this book. The last thing is this why do we need to study this book? Why is this book so important for us as God's people? There's a story about a um, Bible college president. And at his school, everybody has to go to chapel. It's mandatory. You've got to go to chapel. You've got to be a part of this. I don't, I don't remember how often they met. They meet for chapel, but they have to go. Students have to go. And so chapel time has come on campus. And the president, being a good example, he's walking towards uh, chapel. Chapel heading that direction, and and the flow of traffic, the flow of students is is heading that way, and and people moseying in to to be a part of that. But there's one student that's kind of cut away from the crowd and is going the opposite direction, and the president sees him, and uh, this student looks like somebody who needs chapel, according to the president, and he stops him, and he says, how come you're not going to chapel? There's something going on. You're not feeling well. And the student says, no, I I feel fine. It's just I don't want to go to chapel. It's like presidents, president well, that's a good, honest answer. Why don't you want to go? And the student basically says, if I go to chapel, I'm going to have to change. There's stuff going on in my life, and I don't want to change. And so I don't want to go to chapel. And the president looks at him and says, you know what? You're right. You get chapel. You get the purpose of chapel and why we do it. If I had to put a sign above chapel, it would be, enter here and you will change. I to put a, t- a title or a sign over the book of Romans "Is if you read this, you will change. It will affect your life. It will affect your heart. It will either move you towards him, or it will move you away from him. Look at verses uh, 3 through 4 there. Paul writes, he says this, about the, talking about the son. This is the content of the gospel. Regarding his son... Who, as it, who, as to him earth as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the Spirit of Holiness, was appointed the Son of God in, in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, this is the content of the gospel of God. It's not information, but it's a person. And you caught that did you catch the two things that he's trying to communicate about this person, Jesus Christ? One, he was completely man. He was fully man, and he was fully God. He was fully divine. These verses are communicating a lot more than that, but they are certainly reminding us that God is fully man, and that he is fully God. To which you say, I've been to church a while, and uh, I, got the, I get all the, the right questions, like I know Paul wrote the book of Romans, and I understand that God is, or Christ is fully God and, and fully man. Why is that important? Why is that relevant for me, and how does that help me uh, lead me to answer the lead you to answer the question of why we need the book of Romans? Well, the shorter answer is this: is because Jesus took your place. Jesus, fully God and fully man, took your place. Think for a moment about what sin is. If you had to define sin, what would you say? You'd probably say sin is breaking the law, is breaking His commandments, and I would say yes. But breaking his commandments are an expression of something else that's going on in our lives. Breaking his commandments are an expression of somebody else is in command of our lives. Somebody else is in, has authority in our lives. Somebody else is calling the shots in our lives. God is the one who has created us, says, I have that rightful place of rule in your life. I've created you. I've made you. And so you're, I, I'm your king but we usurp that authority, so to speak, and we put ourselves in control. We put ourselves in the place of God in our lives, and that's why we break his commandments. That's why we lie, or we cheat, or we do whatever it is, because we put ourselves on that throne. But again, here's the beauty of the gospel. You think about how God responds to that. He's the rightful king. Is he harsh with us, harsh with us, Does he um, uh, do violence against us? No. What does he do? He says, I'm going to take your place. Meaning, I'm going to take the, the place that you deserve so that you can get what you don't deserve. So you don't get what you deserve. That's why he became fully man. And that's why he became fully God. To see that he was fully man. He understands you. He knows you. The pain that he felt when those nails struck through his body is the same kind of pain that we would feel if nails went through our palms. He knows fear. He knows rejection. He knows disappointment. He knows these things because he experienced them. Nobody wants to go to a counselor and and where you go and you spill your guts out to them, and you tell them, this is what I've done, and he or she looks at you and says, I can't believe you did that. What were you thinking? That's not what we get with Jesus. That's not what we get with Christ because he was fully man. He knows what it's like to live in this world. He knows rejection. He knows fear. He he knows isolation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows what it's like to be alone and to, to be fully rejected and he did that he experienced that at a level we will never experience so that we never have to experience that ultimate rejection he took our place that's why he became fully god that's why he became fully man to take our place and think about the confidence that it should instill in us that he was fully god when he did that The blood that was shed on the cross for you was God's blood. It was God's blood for you. It's sufficient to make you clean. It's pure enough to make you whole. it's, It's good enough for you to say, It's done. I'm forgiven. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. There's no come or condemnation. And if you cannot forgive yourself, if you're still in a place where you're still beating yourself up for what you did and what you said, are you really believing the cross? Are you really believing what Christ did for you? Because what you're doing is you're saying, that wasn't enough. I've still got to beat myself up more. I've still got to pay a little bit more. And God being fully God with His blood shed for you, says, it's enough. It's paid for. You're forgiven. Know the joy and know the grace that that gives you. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what burdens you have. I don't know what went on this past week. But God says to you, I took your place. I took your place as fully man and fully God. What I've done for you is sufficient. And what we're going to find in the book of Romans is Paul unwrapping that and helping us see the reality and the truth of that, how that changes us. And if you let that message sink down deep enough, you're going to know a joy and a peace that the Scriptures promise promised to us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, how we need to know and live in light of that You, being fully God, came and died in our place. As we talk about being servants, as we talk about Paul being a slave to you, as we know that means that you are his master, the person and work of Christ tells us why. Such a message, so rich and so deep, that you would shed your blood for us Help us to take that in and comprehend that and to know the reality of it. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.